Welcome to the Histrionics Podcast, where I review a few pieces of history that aren't very well known or deserve a little more attention. Today I'm going to discuss a penal colony known as Devil's Island, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, and the eruption of Krakatoa in 1883. Sorry, two volcanoes today. The events took place between August 22nd and August 28th. August 22nd, 1953. The penal colony on Devil's Island is permanently closed. The penal colony of Cayenne, commonly known as Devil's Island, was a French penal colony that operated for more than a hundred years, from 1852 to 1953, in the Salvation Islands of French Guiana. It housed political prisoners and the most hardened thieves and murderers. Devil's Island was notorious for the staff's harsh treatment of inmates and the tropical climate and diseases. It had a death rate of 75%. The prison system encompassed several locations, both on the mainland and in the offshore Salvation Islands. The Royale was the reception center for the general population of the penal colony. They were housed in moderate freedom due to how difficult it was to escape from the island. St. Joseph Island was the reclusion where inmates were sent to be punished in the silence and darkness of solitary confinement. Devil's Island was used for political prisoners, with the most famous being Captain Alfred Dreyfus, who was accused of spying for Germany. Devil's Island was also used for the hardest of criminals. Before the penal colony, prisoners were sentenced to serve as oarsmen in the French Mediterranean galley fleet. Given the harsh conditions, this was basically a death sentence. Following the decommission of the Mediterranean galley fleet in 1666, the French detained the majority of prisoners. They were chained in pairs aboard immobile ships called hulks that were docked in French harbors until the ships rotted and sank. The prisoners were then transferred to live on nearby pontoons. Prisoners relied on charity or their family members for food, bedding, and clothing. They were required to work 12 hours a day on the docks. Other prisoners were housed on shore, but conditions there were so bad that many begged to be transferred to the ships. The French Navy, which had been tasked with managing the prison ships, complained strongly about the cost of guarding them and the disruption it caused to the shipyards. The Emperor of France, Napoleon III, ordered that the hulks be permanently closed and started transferring convicts to French Guiana. Since the early 1600s, France had repeatedly failed to colonize French Guiana. The last attempt was in 1763, when 75% of the 12,000 colonists who had been sent there died within the first year, often from tropical diseases. By the 1850s, the declining number of survivors were on the brink of extinction. In 1852, Napoleon called for volunteer prisoners from the ships to transfer to the new penal colony in French Guiana. 3,000 convicts applied. France continued using the hulks, housing over 5,000 prisoners at a time, until they were finally closed at the end of the 19th century. In 1854, France passed a new law of forced residency. It required convicts to stay in French Guiana after completing their sentence, for a time equal to their forced labor time. If the original sentence exceeded eight years, they were forced to stay as residents for the remainder of their lives. In 1885, 
a law required repeat offenders for minor crimes to be sent to Devil's Island, which was previously reserved for serious offenders and political prisoners. Fifteen female convicts were also sent to French Guiana. They were also prostitutes. The intention was to encourage prisoners to live a good life, get married, and start a family, and eventually develop the colony. This experiment obviously failed. No children were born, disputes broke out among the men, and a syphilis epidemic ravaged the island. The penal colony developed a reputation for harshness and brutality, and generated many calls for reform. Violence and disease were rampant. Only a small number of survivors returned to France to describe the horror. It's been said that their stories scared other criminals to go straight and live an honest lifestyle. The vast majority of the more than 80,000 prisoners sent to the Devil's Island prison system never returned to France. Many died due to disease and harsh conditions. Sanitary systems were limited, and the region was infested with mosquitoes that were spreading diseases. The only exit from the island prisons was by water, and very few convicts managed to escape. The horrors of the penal system became widely known during the Dreyfus Affair, as the French army captain Alfred Dreyfus was unjustly convicted of treason and sent to Devil's Island in January of 1895. In 1938, the French government stopped sending prisoners to Devil's Island. In 1953, the prison system was finally closed down. Most of the prisoners were sent back to France by the Salvation Army, but some chose to stay and resettle in French Guiana. Here's my take on Devil's Island. First of all, I cannot believe that bringing 15 oars onto the island didn't help create families. Shocking. Second, I'm into it. I think hard criminals deserve hard punishment. Now, the minor offenders, there's no place for them on Devil's Island. But those are minor offenders. The hardened criminals? Oh, there's plenty of room for you here. I'm not into reform. It doesn't work. August 24th, 79 AD. Mount Vesuvius begins stirring on the feast day of Vulcan, the Roman god of fire. The exact date of the eruption is unknown and it may have taken place in the fall. The most widely reported date is August 24th, but that has been disputed and many people believe it took place in October or November. Today we're going with August 24th. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD destroyed the Roman city of Pompeii and Herculaneum, as well as several other cities and settlements. The eruption ejected a cloud of stones, ashes, and volcanic gases over 20 miles high, and shot molten rock, pulverized pumice, and hot ash at 1.5 million tons per second, ultimately releasing 100,000 times the thermal energy of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The cities were obliterated and buried underneath massive pyroclastic surges and ashfall deposits. The total population of both cities was over 20,000. The remains of over 1,500 people have been found at Pompeii and Herculaneum, although the total death toll from the eruption remains unknown. The eruption lasted for two days. The morning of the first day was perceived as normal 
by the only eyewitness to leave a surviving document, Pliny the Younger. He was on the other side of the Bay of Naples, about 18 miles from the volcano, which may have prevented him from noticing early signs of the eruption. Around 1 p.m., Mount Vesuvius violently erupted, spewing a high-altitude column from which ash and pumice began to fall, blanketing the area. Later that night, pyroclastic flows around the volcano began. Lights seen on the mountain were interpreted as fires. People 20 miles away fled for their lives. The flows were fast-moving, dense, and very hot, knocking down all structures in their path, incinerating or suffocating the remaining population, and altering the landscape, including the coastline. These were accompanied by minor tremors and a tsunami in the Bay of Naples. By the end of the second day, the eruption was over, leaving a thick haze in the atmosphere, making the sun barely visible. The first part of the eruption lasted about 18 hours, and produced the fall of pumice and ash that accumulated up to depths of almost 10 feet at Pompeii. It heated the roof tiles to 250 to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. This period would have been the last opportunity to escape. In the second phase, during the early morning of the following day, pyroclastic surges of molten rock and hot gases flowed through the cities at over 100 miles an hour, reaching temperatures up to 700 degrees Fahrenheit. Surges are distinctly identified by ripples in rock deposits, which are not produced from fallout, and flowed as far as Mycenaeum, about 15 miles away. The cities of Herculaneum and Aplantis received the brunt of the surges and were buried in rocks and lava up to 75 feet deep. The last few surges destroyed what was left of Pompeii, covering the city in layers of molten and smothering anything left behind. Most victims of the eruption were killed instantly by the surges. The contorted and frozen appearance of the bodies discovered are not due to long agony or suffocation, but the result of heat shock. The heat was so intense that organs and blood were vaporized, and one victim's brain was even turned into glass. Over 1,000 casts have been made from bodies recovered in the ash deposits around Pompeii. The total number of fatalities remains unknown and is likely much higher. Here's my take on the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. I want to watch the Pompeii movie with John Stark now. Came out like five years ago. It didn't look great. I don't think the reviews were great. But now I want to watch it. And it was directed by Paul Anderson. He did the Resident, some of the Resident Evil movies. And uh, Event Horizon, which is a great horror movie, if you've never seen Event Horizon. But, you know, if it's directed by him and it's about this story, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, and it's, it's got John Stark, um, I'm going to check it out. August 27th, 1883. Four volcanic explosions almost completely destroy the island of Krakatoa and cause years of climate change. The 1883 eruption of Krakatoa, located in the Sunda Strait, began on May 20th, 1883 and peaked on August 27th. Over 70% of the island of Krakatoa and its surrounding islands were destroyed as it collapsed into a caldera. 
The eruption was one of the deadliest and most destructive volcanic events ever recorded. At least 36,000 deaths are attributed to the eruption and the tsunamis that followed. In the years before the 1883 eruption, seismic activity around Krakatoa was intense. Beginning in May of 1883, steam began venting regularly from the island. Eruptions of ash stretched three and a half to four miles into the atmosphere, and explosions could be heard a hundred miles away. Eruptions at Krakatoa started again in mid-June, with loud explosions and thick black clouds covering the islands for five days. Towards the end of June, an east wind cleared the cloud, and new ash columns could be seen on Krakatoa. The ongoing eruptions caused tides to be unusually high, and anchored ships had to be moored with chains. Earthquakes were felt and ships began to report large masses of pumice in the Indian Ocean. In early August, a Dutch topographical engineer investigated the Krakatoa Islands. He noted three major ash columns and steam plumes from a dozen vents. He said the ash layer was over a foot thick and all vegetation had been destroyed. By late August, the eruptions intensified even more. The ash cloud had reached heights over 15 miles high. Explosions could be heard every 10 minutes, and ships over 10 miles away reported large chunks of hot pumice landing on their decks. On August 27th, four massive explosions occurred, which marked the climax of the eruption. At 5.30 in the morning, the first explosion triggered a tsunami. At 6.44 in the morning, Krakatoa exploded again, with another tsunami propagating eastward and westward. The third and largest explosion, at 10 a.m., resulted in complete destruction that nobody had seen before. About 40 minutes later, a landslide tore off half of the nearby Rakata volcano, along with the remainder of the island to the north of Rakata, causing the final explosion. Each explosion was accompanied by tsunamis, with some over 100 feet high. A large area of the Sunda Strait and the coast of Sumatra were affected by pyroclastic flows from the volcano. The third explosion has been reported as the loudest sound in recorded history, with the sound wave traveling around the earth multiple times. The energy released from the explosion was equal to about 200 megatons of TNT, roughly four times more powerful than the most powerful nuclear weapon ever detonated. The blast was heard 2,000 miles away in Perth, Western Australia, and the Indian Ocean island of Rodriguez, over 3,000 miles away. The pressure wave generated by the colossal third explosion radiated out from Krakatoa at almost 700 miles an hour. It was so powerful that it ruptured the eardrums of sailors on ships 40 miles away in the Sunda Strait, and ash was propelled 50 miles high. The tsunamis that accompanied the eruption were believed to be caused by monstrous pyroclastic flows entering the sea, causing an enormous displacement in the ocean. The town of Merrick was destroyed by a tsunami that was reported to be 150 feet high. Some of the pyroclastic flows even reached the Sumatran coast, 25 miles away, somehow moving across the water on a cushion of superheated steam. Ships in South Africa, over 5,000 miles away, were even rocked from the tsunamis. Up to a year after the eruption, there were reports of human skeletons floating across the Indian Ocean on rafts of volcanic pumice 
and washing up on the east coast of Africa. In the aftermath of the eruption, Krakatoa had almost completely disappeared. The ultra-violent 1883 eruption disrupted weather and darkened skies across the earth for years. However, with that violence came a little silver lining of beauty as it also produced spectacular sunsets throughout the world. In 2004, an astronomer proposed the idea that the red sky shown in Edward Munch's 1893 painting called The Scream is an accurate depiction of the sky over Norway after the eruption. Here's my take on Krakatoa. That's a regular volcano. Mount Vesuvius is a regular volcano. There's like 40-something supervolcanoes all around the world. If one of those erupts, we're in big trouble. I don't know if it's extinction level, but uh, we're in trouble. Anyway, on to some things that deserve less attention. Yep, nobody does. August 27th, 1593. Pierre Barrier failed an attempt to assassinate Henry IV of France. So we got a failure in history books that did nothing except try to assassinate Henry IV. I'm going to read Pierre Barrier's entire Wikipedia page. Barriere attempted an assassination of Henry IV on August 27, 1593. He was denounced by a Dominican priest to whom he had confessed. He was executed four days later by the breaking wheel and dismemberment. Now the breaking wheel is something else. You should look into that. That's, that's fun to research. But uh, Pierre Barriere, he's nothing. Also on August 27th, 2003, Mars makes its closest approach to Earth in nearly 60,000 years at 34 million miles. So, 34 million miles. I'm guessing you still needed a telescope to see it. I'm guessing it looked just like a star in the sky. So, who gives a shit? August 28th, 1917. Ten suffragettes are arrested while picketing in front of the White House. Who cares? Who cares? I bet there's ten feminists arrested every day. Maybe it's a sign of the times. Well, that's all I got for you this week. Thanks for tuning in. I'm actually going to a wedding next week. I'm going to be out of town all weekend. So I'm not going to upload an episode. My friend Bells and Stevesy are the only one who listen to this anyway. So... Gives a shit. See you guys in a couple weeks. The town of Merrick was destroyed by a tsunami. <laughs> the town of Merrick was destroyed by a tsunami. Assume why can't I say that? <laughs>